0: Welcome back once again to the Blocking Chargecast and Off Talkle Empire production. Here on the eve of the Big Ten basketball season and college hoop season in general—or so we think—given the apparently fluid nature of the schedule, who's to say if the Big Ten starts on the 25th or on Christmas or if we wait till St. Patrick's Day? Nobody knows, but look—that's 2024, you folks. Your host here for the Basketball Podcast, Andrew Kraszewski, joined today by MN Wildcat, leader of our esteemed Northwestern Cabal. How are you, boss? I'm wonderful. Wonderful. And yourself? Holiday weekend, I was expected to actually do things in connection with my day job, which is just, uh, I can't be- I can't believe how negligent my opposing counsel and the courts have been for not scheduling around this week so that I wouldn't have to do anything. Alas, I had to actually work today, but... I can't complain. We got plenty of stuff done. So, plus we're two days away, in theory, again, theory from basketball starting. And because I've dragged you in here, what better way to get it started than with your favorite topic, talking Northwestern basketball?
1: Oh boy, I have the beer at the ready. So let's do it.
0: (laughs) It's five o'clock where I am. So you're completely you're completely authorized as far as cracking into the wind fight tribe rooster of the day goes. So I started at noon. Let's do it. As far as last year went, it's, we don't need to go into the gory details. It's hard to imagine things being much worse for Northwestern and also Nebraska, who we'll discuss in a little bit, but there's a lot of common themes. Between them. Year, looks team as thirteenth place team, but last year perhaps more than any other series, there was a a much larger
1: larger gap between the by conference.
0: which is, you know, for... It
1: might not even be accurate. It might be the Oort cloud. That's that's how bad Northwestern <laughs> was.
0: Right? Uh, yeah. But so, anyway, yeah. There, there are
1: some yeah. built-in... Yeah. In the astronomy department, Dr. Smutko, I was paying attention during your class, and I know that the Oort cloud is farther away than the Kuiper Belt. So that C you gave me was totally <laughs> undeserved.
0: I, I don't know what else you could possibly ask of you in an astronomy class taken by... A history major, yes. So I worked um, that.
1: I'm I'm good now. I'm much better.
0: (laughs) Um, There were a couple of built-in limitations for Northwestern last year. Biggest problem, of course, was the point guard situation, and I say that because Northwestern was still dealing, and uh, the the guy's name escapes me, but there was a promising prep point guard a couple years ago who, very late in the cycle was either ineligible or not able to attend school, for some reason, remind me of the guy's name because it's escaping me.
1: Jordan Lathan he went from Northwestern to a year at UTEP, where I don't think he really distinguished himself all that much, but uh, I was just, I don't know why, I was looking for him the other day, and he actually just wound up at UW-Milwaukee with former Northwestern uh, assistant coach and uh, prep standout Pat Baldwin. So, uh, But Jordan Lathan is his name. He's sitting this year, I believe. But, uh, yeah, he's bounced around a, a bit, to say the least.
0: Yeah, and then, see, there's that. And then there was the other kid from, wasn't it Philadelphia or something? Um, in any case, there's been a couple of point guards recently that were expected to be on the team that have not. And so there's basically just this gap after Bryant McIntosh that is only just now starting to fill in. That led to... Chris Collins getting very creative last year and filling that opening at point guard and bringing in Pat Spencer, a one-year stopgap, home rule lacrosse player. Which, of course, you know if you watched even thirty seconds of Northwestern basketball, because that was that was very much the Perry Hills was a wrestler <laughs> year last year. The thing that they couldn't help but remind you of because they couldn't come up with anything more interesting to say about him. So he came in, and he did his best, and to be fair, his best really wasn't that bad. But in terms of running a pick-and-roll heavy offense, finding shooters on the perimeter, uh, it, it really was not the most aesthetically pleasing basketball to watch. No, it was not. Uh,
1: and, and, you know, somebody who did that well is, uh, or who could fill that role well is Boo Booey. And, oh, yeah. you know, who I don't know if you've heard, but he is related to Taylor Battle uh, from uh, Penn State fame, which is another one of those Pat Spencer was a lacrosse player kinds of facts that are trotted out 15 times. Yeah. A uh,
0: and that, and- one, that one you're going to hear a lot next year because it feels as though they're going to need basically 30 minutes a night from Bowie to be even relatively functional on offense. And that's not to say that he can't do it. I mean, he had some huge games last year. I think he went off for 20-something against Michigan State. So. <laughs> He's, he's capable of scoring in bunches. There's also a little bit of danger of him shooting you out of game somewhat if he starts doing those heat check type of shots, because he's he's liable to those. He, he will pull up from anywhere.
1: He's definitely a volume guy, but what's going to help him out this year is that uh, he has capable ball handlers behind him that should be back in the lineup now. Um, so it'd be nice if Vui could shift into more of a pure kind of shooting guard role, and somebody like Chase Audige, uh, a transfer from William & Mary who sat out last year, or really Anthony Gaines even could could play some role bringing the ball up. Uh, somebody better than Ryan Greer, effectively, who Greer, God knows, enrolled early at Northwestern, put in the time, um, but is you know a replacement-level player at best. And what wound up happening was that Bowie was having to shoulder, I mean, an ungodly amount of the offense for Northwestern in these situations where he should have been asked to you know, to maybe occasionally pour in his fifteen twenty point nights. The offense by the end of the season was running through him, and that's just not sustainable to ask a freshman who's not a, you know, a Michigan State level recruit to carry Northwestern's offense. It was it was unfair, and hopefully, Northwestern's getting pieces in place this year. Um, to say nothing of of Ty Berry, a, a first year recruit now in from uh, in from Kansas for Northwestern, who hopefully can handle more of that ball handling load. And help, Bear, uh, help Barry, uh excuse me, help Bowie really be kind of this uh this shooting guard that he really should be oh
0: man, that's a phonetic similarity that's going to cause some issues, isn't it uh, what,
1: booberry the there's a booberry cereal right
0: it yeah it oh, <laughs> we're in the time well, of year well, where get we just had the uh it, it's the the one they sell in the variety pack with Count Chocula, like Correct. they put Count Chocula in there to get you to buy the two other terrible flavors of marshmallow themed, you know, Halloween themed cereals. And so blueberry, I think, is the blueberry one, and then there's Frankenberry, which is bright pink and strawberry, and those are both just terrible. But if you want sure. the Count Chocula from Costco, you got to get all three. So uh, anyway.
1: <laughs> very much, very much Western is invited to most of these tournaments for the most things that's they are definitely the blueberry of the big 10 and-
0: <laughs> well look there's a t- look there's a there's a season for it and in the right kind of mood it can hit the spot but it's got to be a very particular setting for it to be successful so we, we mentioned that ty berry is one of the incoming freshmen really they're not looking for much more than like 10 minutes a night out of him operating just to give Bowie a little bit of breathing room um other incomers, you mentioned Audige, who's a possible starter on the wing. We'll see how they want to run that with gains, how much they want to do bigger lineups, because they do have the personnel for that. Uh, the other freshman coming in is Matt Nicholson, a seven-foot center out of the Detroit area here, who, you know, seven foot, that's cool, but like most seven-footers coming out of high school, he's either really, really skinny or really, really not skinny. He's really, really skinny. <laughs> so He is liable to get pushed around by more physically developed hosts, because remember, even though we just sent off a few very talented big men to the NBA draft, you still got to deal with Luca Garza, Kofi Coburn. Like there's, there's no shortage of talented big men still in the big 10 that he's going to have to deal with. We I mean, trace Jackson Davis, I think is, I think Indiana is the first conference game. No second after Michigan state. So that'll be fun. A fun baptism. Um, also around the roster, they've, they've got good experience in the front court. So the good news is they won't really need much on Nicholson right away, you wouldn't think. I mean, really his best value for them might be in just another body that can provide five fouls. But the, the effectiveness of this front court, I think, is going to depend on whether they can keep guys like Pete Nance and Robbie Barron out of foul trouble and on the court.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, Nance is kind of an interesting case and a frustrating one for, for a lot of Northwestern fans. He He's clearly got the size, right, and the pedigree that he should be, you know, that kind of takeover a game player at 6'10". We just haven't seen that yet. And so Nance kind of fits into this weird series of, like, stretch 3-4 kind of guys that all hypothetically have some sort of shot or some sort of ability in the lane. And Nance definitely is supposed to have that slashing ability, but it's just not there consistently yet. We're waiting to see his shooting ability. We're waiting to see him really develop as a player. Um, you know, to go with that is, is Robbie Barron, for one, who has a nice spot-up shot but really struggles to create his own shot. And the guy who really drives the bus on, in terms of that wing shooting ability for Northwestern is, is Miller Kopp, who has a heck of a stroke from deep. But as, uh, as Dan Olinger, or Olinger, I'm sorry for getting his name wrong here, but Dan at uh, Inside NU showed, he, like, is afraid to use his left hand. Or he, he doesn't want to. It's, he, he hasn't dribbling. Like, he'll take fi- 10, 15 dribbles with just his right. And it's not a winning formula, right? It's much better than when Bill Carmody gets here and, one, and a guy can't see out of one of his eyes. But um, <laughs> you know, this is, there's a, a lot happening on these wings that just leave something to be desired. And the hope with Nicholson is that he can spell Ryan Young without needing to you know replace him. And Young's got to make some steps in in year two. He's got to become a much better defender. Um, He's got to develop a jump shot or some sort of outside shot. Really, if he can have his, you know, if he can approach Alex Ola levels of production, I mean, then we're talking that Northwestern has a stew cooking, right? But in in the short term, there are just so many different kind of leaps that Northwestern needs of its players this year that uh, there's a lot, a lot still left out there that you know, your guess as good as mine in terms of what's actually going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, the good news is with the roster being as young as it was last year and getting the experience they did, it's not unreasonable to project considerable improvement from a lot of the players. And sure, again, as we'll say a hundred times about a hundred different topics, this is an off season, like no other TM next to that little statement, but (laughs) you would still expect guys to be able to put in the work in the gym uh, and get shots up. Those are not things that you necessarily need coaching for. So the last kind of detail before we pivot to another thrilling end team, the schedule, of course, is a, is in a highly modified state. Northwestern actually does not start until December 2nd, a week later than everyone else, and it's a four-game non-conference slate. They've got Pitt in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, so that'll be an interesting matchup. Another former Duke assistant, um, Jeff Cable, at Pitt. Other than that, though, you got a few tomato cans here that really should be manageable, even for Northwestern, um, Arkansas Pine Bluff, Chicago State, and SIU Edwardsville.
1: It's either Pine Bluff or Edwardsville that is the only one that's outside of the three fifties in Ken Palm. Um, I think it's UAPB who is at three forty right now in this year's rankings. But it is—it's three easy, easy wins, unless I mean, unless disaster strikes, and that. It really is a time hopefully for Northwestern to, to just get its shit together and figure out what role is Barry gonna play, you know, how get Alan Young some, some opportunities to find his moves and kind of get, you know, reacclimated to playing in the post against teams that are gonna throw out, you know, a six-six center at him or something. Um, yeah. It,
0: and there there is not long to adjust either because we might we discussed briefly before we got started here. In Ken Palm's preseason rankings, nine of the top 30 teams are in the Big Ten. And with this expanded 20-game conference schedule, there are going to be some long, difficult stretches here. So after that last non-con game on December 13th, a week later, Northwestern opens their season with Michigan State. And then from there, it goes at Indiana, Ohio State at home, at Iowa, at Michigan, versus Illinois, at Ohio State, Versus Iowa again. <laughs> so, like the first, and then you get Penn State after that, which I think is a team that's going to be more achievable. But after that, there's another three game stretch. And there's just like, there's, there are more winnable games in the Big Ten this year, I think, for Northwestern and Nebraska type of squads. And that I expect Penn State to take a big step back. I expect Maryland to take a huge step back. And I'm not really sold on Minnesota being any good. I think there should be more of a middle slash lower class in the conference but man that top eight or nine teams is still absolutely brutal and northwestern for some has apparently not sufficiently kowtowed to barry alvarez in his scheduling chair because once again just absolute gauntlet to open the conference stretch
1: i mean you can't blame barry in the aftermath of what happened on saturday that's i'm sure he's got he's still got some things he's working towards with uh Working through with uh, with Northwestern athletics, and no no amount of no amount of drive by handshakes with uh, with Gary Barnett or Randy Walker after uh, after old Tubby Barry in his red track suits loses another game. Uh,
0: what is it? One win for Wisconsin at Ryan Field since like 2005 or something like that. It, it's some <laughs> crazy statistic like that. Um, uh, look, this is, and this is where you pay the price for that. Honestly, if they can't get you on that field, Barry never forgets. Isn't that right, other so. And
1: an elephant never does. And boy, he sure—he uh, sure is a, is approaching elephant status. So, yeah. <laughs> in terms of uh, schedule, though, I mean, you're you're exactly right. Like it's 0 and 8 not out of the question. I mean, Northwestern matching its 3 and 17 record from last year is not out of the question. And to be honest, they could they could be 30, 40 places better in Kenpom. And still have a three and seventeen record in the Big Ten, and that's just a nature of the strength of the conference. It's a nature of the unlucky double plays that Northwestern got. I mean, that you're getting one game each, I believe, with uh, with Penn State, Minnesota, and Nebraska. That's just you know, and Maryland,
0: yeah. And Maryland again. <laughs> the teams here, that man. teams that I would expect in the preseason to be the other four teams at the bottom of the of the table are all single plays for Northwestern. Like, this schedule could not be any more difficult if a conference had tried. Um, yeah,
1: it's a bummer. And so the, the last two things I have to say about Northwestern, I guess, are the first one is what I think will help Northwestern navigate this year better and avoid some of those huge losing streaks where there were winnable games that they just dropped like last year. In that in that big run of I think it was ten straight games in a uh, no it was like twelve or something they lost in a row um, tight ones at Rutgers at home against Purdue uh, and I believe at Illinois as well where they should have won at least one if not two of those three games having Anthony Gaines back is going to be so huge he he brings that kind of Sanjay Lumpkin style presence to the Northwestern defense and offense just that that spark plug that that calming influence at the same time. But that fire that the, that Northwestern needs to go, um, gains is going to be huge. The second one is that the non-con is abysmal. I have, and I know we mentioned this earlier, or I mentioned this to you earlier, I have this conspiracy theory that Northwestern will at some point uh, add one of DePaul, Loyola, or UIC to its non-conference schedule. They'll just say like, hey, babe, you up, send a late night text. And all the time, they're going to wind up playing in like a random Saturday afternoon, uh, you know, broadcast only on BTN and maybe like a grainy Twitter feed, like live stream Twitter feed or something.
0: Um, yeah, but that, could be in, the, yeah, that could be in the context of basically a conference game getting, getting canceled because of COVID where your opposing numbers got a couple of positives. They're not able to put a whole team together. They can't verify that they've, Know, sufficiently isolated, so make, there will absolutely be basketball games lost to COVID as much as we'd like to think it'll be over by then. I mean, we've we've lost multiple football games despite the very high financial stakes involved there, and basketball is a winter sport. We've seen the direction that the case numbers are trending for the last few weeks now, and given that the numbers also lag a couple weeks behind and we haven't had the hit from Thanksgiving yet, That's gonna that beat is going to drop just as we get to conference play. yeah, we're a mas- yeah. In schedule. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right that te- basketball teams are going to reach out for those last second, like who is nearby that we can play. Um, so there's going to be an opportunity to soften the schedule a little bit here and there, I think.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I wouldn't mind if it was DePaul. I mean, we need, everybody needs the battle for the mayor's key back in their lives. Um, but on the whole, this is kind of another one of those where, with Northwestern, you just want to see development. Again, there's no – I don't believe – is there a senior on the roster? I don't think off the top of my head. I think Gaines has a redshirt junior year, and eligibility is what it is anyways. So, um
0: Yeah, that's um, – I'm not clear. Have you heard – is this free year of eligibility for winter sports as well, or was that just a football thing?
1: I told myself it was, but that doesn't mean anything. And, look, we don't – I mean, this is OT. We don't actually know what we're talking
0: about anyways, so. I, I don't pretend to actually be aware of that, but – all right, so we'll pivot now to another team that found itself looking up at a lot of a lot of conference peers in the standings last year, and that was Nebraska. Um, boy, so we we just got done saying that, look, the benefit for Northwestern from last year was you had this very young roster, and so although it was a long and difficult season, it's the kind of thing that you know, your dad turns around and glares at you and says, this builds character, right? <laughs> you got guys who have played a lot of ball. They've played a lot of ball together and they've gone through the challenges of getting through, you know, a big 10 season of knowing that every night there's a brutally difficult opponent and you're going to lose plenty of games. If you're an improving team, Nebraska went through a lot of that same stuff last year, but because of, I mean, the the roster turn they've had here has been extreme, even for what we expected Fred Hoiberg's track record in the past because, for the second year in a row out of his two, they are basically turning over the entire roster. They have functionally two returners who played for them last year, and one of them is the only guy who carried over from the year before. I mean, for Thor Yarnerson at this point. Has to wonder if, like, his breath is always bad or something. Because, he, once again, and by the way, the guy from Iceland is now the holdover, like, he's the one who knows Lincoln best for all the newcomers who are coming to the team. He at least this year has Ivan Widrogo alongside him, the French import in the front court. And then they've got a Cola Rop, another big man, but a guy who barely played last year. But then other than that, looking at the last year's team, I mean, they knew Hanif Cheatham was not going to be staying. He was a one and done for them. But Cam Mack and Deshaun Berth, Burke, excuse me, both declared for the draft. Neither were drafted, but they're both gone. And then Jir- 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 Green and Kevin Cross both transferred. So they lose five out of the seven or eight guys who played big minutes for him last year, and they're starting all over. And there's basically two sides to this coin that Hoiberg flips every year with his roster. On the one hand, if a given group of guys doesn't work, fine, flush them, let's bring in the next one. It's a little bit of a discount John Calipari version, except you know they're not all blue chips. But he can say, well, if this roster doesn't work out, these guys aren't don't have full eligibility periods anyway. I can you know throw it all back in the pot, shake it again, and see if it comes out better this time downside is all that losing experience last year didn't get him anything <laughs> he's just got he's got a whole new roster basically
1: and to be honest that having having that entirely new roster, especially in the aftermath of a year where you know you you lost a ton of games in the big ten I mean that eighteen games that can't i mean in all honesty, can that really hurt nebraska that why not just flush it and start over and to have somebody like, Uwe, you know, Drago and, and Thor, uh, Thor Bjarnerson, these, I think are part of, kind of, these are features within the Hoiberg system, have those, you know, one or two guys who are the holdovers who can be the stabilizing influences, the kind of the people who know the program, the people that fans of the program can latch onto and say, yep. Okay. Here, you know, our Thor Thor Bjarnerson, you know, God bless Thunder, son of Thunder bear, I guess. Um, you know, here's the <laughs> guy that we can we can stand by. Um, it, it it gives him that little kind of veneer of stability and allows him to have that churn going on at the bottom. And and frankly, it's it might still be a couple years until until Hoyberg can get that. But once he gets it rolling, really, I think we saw at Iowa State too is as soon as Hoyberg has those one or two two teams that get rolling, it's it's downhill for him. It's he really can just That strange, weird, bad legend that he has around him of just every year being being your discount, you know, discount Calipari.
0: And he this year he has I think really some higher ceiling, more interesting pieces to put in this mix. So the the first guy, one who you're going to recognize instantly is Delano Banton, who (laughs) they will use functionally as their point guard, I believe, most of the time. He's a six foot nine ball handler. Coming to him from Western Kentucky. He's eligible. He, I mean, just from a scouting standpoint, how do you prepare your point guards defensively to? Stay in front of us. As if there are surprise suspensions that pop up with one or two of these guys.
1: This in addition is, to like, you look at Shamil Steve. Without even stopping to look at the his twin Flomatsel Stevenson, <laughs> and you have he's from Toronto he went to Nevada and then Pitt. something called Hillcrest Prep along the way which i assume is a ac- prep academy That's you look at Teddy Allen who god knows has his own has had his issues from Arizona uh, Western Nebraska Community College West Virginia like there's so much going on here they have a forward lat uh, Latin Mayan or lat Mayan who's and i'll do my best uh, crocodile dundee is Italy Australia and concordia college tcu uh that florida community college juggernaut that is chipola college like it just it's so well traveled and it's why i almost i mean i don't want to do this podcast for a number of reasons most of all the, the limited credibility that i have left but like <laughs> it, there's no point i mean it's the, flip a shake the yahtzee cup flip you know 15 coins roll your D die or whatever it is like Nebraska basketball like this is Hoiberg basketball too now it's just you're you don't know what you're gonna get and and they don't frankly so you know fuck it just throw them out on the court and let's see how it goes
0: and it it's hard to imagine that it's gonna go as badly as it did last year although really is it is it can you say that it's gone badly when you end up conscripting offensive lineman Brant Banks to join the team with basically the best flow I've ever seen from a basketball player in, in many years, at least
1: Sick flow.
0: Yeah. It like that. That was the absurdity that we got from last year. The hope if you're Hoiberg is that this group of guys works out such that you're not down to six or seven scholarship players. By the time the post season kicks up, it's a shorter season. You don't have to hold it together as long. It's going to be an interesting ride for them. So the last few days they're. Nebraska's schedule has solidified a little bit. Um, they were hosting this Golden Window Classic that was going to start over the Thanksgiving weekend. You know, one of the tournaments that schools host themselves. They had a number of opponents back out. And so they've shuffled that a little bit. Um, before that starts, they open with an exhibition. I think it's an exhibition. Maybe it's a live game against McNeese State on the 20th.
1: That's a real game. How dare That's- you! the football could barely beat McNeese State. How dare you do that to them? I was going
0: to say, you know, Amir Abdul ain't walking through those doors. Maybe you don't want this one to count. Uh,
1: (laughs) Cowboys, sir.
0: When the Golden Window Classic starts, they now will be hosting Nevada, and then they play North Dakota State. The week after that, they've got South Dakota, and then Florida A&M before Georgia Tech in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, and then Creighton, although – I think I saw somewhere that Creighton game might be in jeopardy. I'm not sure if that's still the case. I mean, it's still on their schedule, which seems now to be up to speed. So, and this is kind of a nice ramp up here because remember, this is basketball. So North Dakota State, South Dakota, those are not the threats that they are in football (laughs) to throw a spear into your heart. At least they shouldn't be. But again, you know, this is going to be kind of a volatile situation for Nevada or for Nebraska. Maybe they do. Maybe that is a little bit of a threat from the Bison.
1: I mean, look, if it, it, this looks like a Gopher football non-conference schedule, to be honest. And and I'd put the Gophers at about one and two if they were playing Nevada, North Dakota State, and South Dakota this season. So, <laughs> no, I, I think it's a good ramp up. And, and the two teams that Nebraska was supposed to play before this were uh, St. Louis and, and San Francisco. Uh, you know, to be honest, I, I'm stunned to say it, but, Nevada and North Dakota State are downgrades over the Billikens and the Dons. I mean, this is – both of them are – we're talking Kempom, still about top 150-ish teams, but this is a little bit of an easier walk-in for Nebraska. Now, granted, last year their walk-up was supposed to be UC Riverside and Southern Utah, and Nebraska (laughs) – But all things considered, this Golden Window Classic, everything being in flux like it is – I think going back-to-back back, McNeese State and Nevada, Nebraska should be able to grab a win there and should be able to kind of start figuring out what works. And that's the hope, is that by the time that they get through the Dakotas and Florida A&M, uh, that they hit the Big Ten ACC Challenge with Georgia Tech, and they have an idea of who their starting lineup is and what works. And I think with just how many transfers, the volume that they have, that Nebraska is going to need time to do that, which is why I think they're so committed to playing a full seven game, non conference slate. And uh, so if you get them that game against Georgia tech, you get them hopefully that game against Creighton because watching Nebraska lose to Creighton will never get old. Uh, (laughs) If you give them that full slate, they could hit the big 10 schedule with some sort of an identity and some sort of
0: momentum. Uh, who boy is that going to be important because, as with Northwestern, um, somebody in the athletic department pissed off the schedule masters, uh, in at Big Ten headquarters because we we rattled off the teams that Northwestern opens the conference slate with. How about starting off at Camp Randall for Nebraska and then hosting Michigan, going to Ohio State, hosting Michigan State. Then you get a little bit of a break by going to Mackey, which, hey, this year without students, that might actually be a much easier game than it usually is. But then after that, home games against Indiana and Illinois. So there's a solid argument to be made that their first seven games, they could be double-digit underdogs in all of them, depending on how Purdue looks by the time we get to January 5th. So few vulnerabilities on this schedule. And as we mentioned, only the single play against Northwestern. Um Let's see, who else are the singles here? Looks like only one game against Michigan, oh, so that's relatively that cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, like, as we said with Northwestern, this could be a much better team that does not budge in the record column because the conference has not gotten any easier. The single-play situations for North, Northwestern and Nebraska are both very difficult. Um, oh, but so... That being said, as we mentioned, it's it's also entirely possible that you lose a couple of these conference games along the way, and you can plug the holes with easier opponents to get yourself a win or two.
1: And I wouldn't be surprised to see Nebraska do that. Maybe Chattanooga is available. It's you know maybe they can give it a second bite at the apple with Chattanooga and <laughs> time, Nebraska. You can get a game. Um, Call it and, the mocks <laughs> And to be honest, I I, I think Heiberg would be smart to do that. That's with his with his bit of you know pulling in transfers it i i honestly think that it, it it's one of those you don't unless they're on you know a two game three game losing streak and you just see that like the wheels have fallen off the train again you don't necessarily want to ever see this nebraska team on, on my schedule because if if they have allen and if they have stevenson and if webster's been, you know is on just a shooting tear i, I would prefer not to see them it's Way forward to beat Nebraska, or the consistent way is: look, Lat Mayen and and Ivan Udrago are or are both undersized centers. Like I think you beat Nebraska by pummeling them inside, <clears throat> breaking them there, and then letting you know letting Allen and McGowan's and Stevenson let them self destruct on the outside if they want to.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, the one thing you can say about this group of imports versus last year is Hoiberg's definitely got a lot of guys who can shoot and will shoot, which has always been kind of his MO is to run a faster tempo, especially relative to other teams in the big 10 and get a lot of shots up really backfired on them last year because they didn't have the depth to make that work. And they were visibly worn down by the end of the game. But if they're able to, if they have a few more bodies that are able to go, they've got shooters that can wear you out. If, if you get into a track meet with them. So
1: Iowa, Nebraska could be this year in basketball. If Hoiberg's at his full roster, what a just a 110 to 105 disaster that game. Yeah,
0: I was going to say first to a hundred, right? So beautiful. we can only hope. Um, all right. So we're going to close this session with a little bit of a palate cleanser. We've discussed Northwestern. We ate the pile of Brussels sprouts that was Nebraska. Let's bring it home with Rutgers. Um, <laughs>
1: the only time we
0: will ever call Rutgers a palate cleanser for the, re- for reference. And hey, look, there what other way is there to put appropriate respect on Steve Peichel's name and the work he's done in Piscataway than by making that kind of reference relative to Rutgers' general athletic accomplishments since joining the Big Ten? So you've you've got Rutgers is one of many teams, and this is this is basically a theme as I was preparing as I was looking over all the teams in the conferences. There were so many teams. In this conference, that had to be just despondent about losing the postseason last year because so many teams had had breakthrough seasons making a, a lot of them making their first tournament appearances in a long time, and had these collections of players that would have been so thrilling to watch in the postseason, and all of them lost that chance. And the thing that Rutgers has to be most most uh, confident about is they've got a level of carryover. That's really only matched by Wisconsin. Both of those players only lost really one major contributor. For Wisconsin, it was uh, Bavarian Pretzels. And Rutgers loses a quasi a guy who Steve Peichel brought in as a one year transfer from Stony Brook, his old stomping grounds. So, so they've got incredible carryover. Um, and the thing is, man, this is the one thing that had me a little bit ambivalent about Rutgers is. I know the the answer is Geo Baker, but really, who is their best player? Such that if you needed a shot in a big moment, they would be the one to take it. It's obviously Baker, but in terms of his actual skills, I don't think he is decisively the best player on this team. They've got an incredibly deep, versatile, and large core. Like all their guys are big for their position, so that's that's contributed to their toughness on the rebound and in rebounding, their toughness defensively. They've got this obvious type, and the whole playing group, for the most part, is back, other than Yaboa.
1: Oh no! I mean, the, the go-to guy with the, with the ball in his hands, one shot. I mean, for me, is Paul McKay. I mean, the guy's got the white stuff, and it's uh, <laughs> not even close. You want you want a headband taking the final shot? That's that's the only way you have a you know you have an option going forward. Um, <laughs> sure, so. um, I, I, I admire I... what Steve Pikel. This going forward and uh, and getting into just an absolute brawl with the team for the better part of a uh, better part of forty minutes and it I think what's helped Michael make that step forward is again having that continuity with Joe Baker bringing in uh, you know that is he from Jersey he's got to be from Jersey
0: right. I Paul Mulcahy, from, like, Connecticut or something. Mulcahy is definitely Jersey. I don't Mulcahy, even care where he's actually from. He's Jersey as hell.
1: Mulcahy is Jersey as hell, and that's the one that I'm talking about, is that he's got, got Mulcahy there to bring that kind of Jersey attitude. He's got, I mean, he's got, I mean, shit, half of West Africa, I think, with Clifford Omorugi and uh, Mamadou DeCore and just these, these fantastic, just big athletic bodies at center that they use to just beat the crap out of people. It's, I mean, it's ugly basketball. God knows, it's ugly as sin. But (laughs) Nickel has a type. He has a system, and he recruits to it and he plays it. And God knows, you have to respect just the the program that he's built there. It's a it's a really, really nice system he's got.
0: He's been very good at identifying guys under the radar who then substantially outplay themselves because. Cliff O'Marui is a top 100 recruit. I think I think he's like a top 60 guy. But before that, other than him, I don't know that they've got more than a couple guys who were even top 100 prospects coming out of high school. I could be wrong about that, but I think I'm pretty sure Baker was in that range, roughly top 100. Other than that, I, I think Ron Harper might be the one other guy, Ron Harper Jr. But they've got a lot of guys who are you know not exactly pursued by the likes of Duke and north carolina and even like your michigan states and indianas so for him to have that consistent of an eye for talent and turn it into i mean again like you don't see in college basketball a team bring back this many guys who you know could be centerpieces if they went elsewhere like usually guys like you know think about for example the role of somebody like montez mathis or jacob young like normally if those guys aren't allowed to dominate the ball and take 15 or 20 shots a game don't transfer in a huff in search of more playing time. Michael's done such a good job with identifying guys who are willing to contribute to this team that really on a given night, you don't know who Rutgers' best player is going to be because they've got seven or eight guys who can score 20, who can be the focal point of their offense. And again, it's not a great offense by any means, but <laughs> such a deep group that they've got and you can't help but think in a season like this where your practice time could be interrupted, you don't have much in the way of a non-conference ramp-up, that having that continuity is going to be huge.
1: And so you say, you know, you talk about that continuity, and you say, <laughs> well, first you say consider Montez Mathis, and my my honestly, the, the brain reaction I had was just, no, I refuse, I won't. Uh, <laughs> you look at the starts they gave out last year, and does, I mean, Jack Carter and Miles Johnson, I believe it was one of them, that started every single game, uh, all 31 games. And then between them, five other players split the starts for the last four spots total. That was it. The started a total of seven guys last year. And it just, it, the ability to keep everybody healthy, to keep everybody on the court really aided them. Having Yaboa there was was a huge boon to them. Just they, but even then they spread scoring around. Jacob Young was able to pour in an eight and a half off the bench. Mulcahy only averaged, I realized, four points a game. But Mulcahy also <laughs> played every game. Shaq Carter played every game. That's they have this roster that just runs so deep, and they grind the game into the mud, and they just force you to, to come up with all these extra stops at home. That you know, I, I have a tough time picking against a, you know a Rutgers this year, given that have that kind of stability i think that's going to really come in handy whether they're playing you know at you know playing on the road or at home they they just have that kind of core that could be really essential like we're seeing with a team like indiana football or northwestern football where that'll help them overcome some of the issues that COVID has kind of put in place
0: yeah. and it's like i said it's hard to find much of a vulnerability here um, they also are bringing in again four recruits, headlined by Cliff Omarui. All of them are six foot seven or taller. So, uh, as we said, you know, a uh, has got type. Uh, <laughs> we'll take one quick look now at the schedule. So, a very I'm limited. Not, I'm, not
1: right there. I'm not even looking at the damn thing. I'll tell you what, Rutgers' schedule is. Uh, I'm betting we've got Fairleigh Dickinson on them somewhere, on there somewhere. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, okay. good. Uh, Rutgers will not leave the state of New Jersey in their entire non-conference schedule.
0: Um, let's see. The Lewis Brown Athletics Center is what we know as the rack, isn't it? Right. <laughs> so yeah, that would be a total of three non-conference games getting, getting a lot of work in. I'll
1: <laughs> right. we'll have, I think it's, I, I know that it's Syracuse this year and I think that's at the rack as well. Uh, yes. I think the Seton Hall game is off, but other than that, they're going to play a whole bunch of like MAAC level cupcakes, MAC level cupcakes. Uh, not play anybody of note. They'll probably struggle with one of those teams at least because Rutgers has a shit offense that requires every game to be scored in the 60s. Uh, and they oh, will.
0: Really? Be, and when then you said, when you said a bunch of other teams, though, remember there's only they only have three non-conference games, and you name two of them: Fairleigh Dickinson, and Syracuse. Come on, you you can get the last one. It's the opener. It's on Wednesday. Who's that last team? I know you can come up oh, with it.
1: It's the Sacred Heart from Connecticut. That's right.
0: Uh yes. you know, all right. Are you looking at the schedule or are you not? Did you really just guess?
1: I looked at the I looked at that before <laughs> all, right, all right. Uh, yeah, Sacred
0: Heart's the opener.
1: They could schedule wider uh, in the next couple of weeks and nobody would be surprised. Monmouth could show up on their schedule and you'd you would, you know, I'm sure it'll happen.
0: And I mean they've got a couple of gaps here. Like between Fairleigh Dickinson and Syracuse, that's the twenty seventh to December eighth is the gap there. That's almost two weeks. So, I'm
1: to Delaware needs to come up and take an ass kicking. Like it's just yeah, crazy.
0: for sure, for sure. And then once we roll over into the conference schedule, um, they open with a trip to Maryland, which is a much more manageable game this year than it usually is. Um, still, three of their first five, they've got Illinois and Iowa at home, and a trip to Ohio State. Um, then they go to Michigan State, Ohio State again. Like again, <laughs> that's. We're going to be saying this with pretty much every team we talk about, like the schedule is always going to look difficult. Um, They do have one stretch towards, you know, end of January, first couple weeks of February, where in a four game stretch, they have Northwestern twice and Minnesota, um, plus their trip to Iowa. So that's a stretch that you look at as maybe this is a little bit of a breather. But again, I think Northwestern could be considerably better. I don't think they're going to be a free game, as they really weren't last year. As as much as you're probably tired of hearing the moral victory line, (laughs) there's not going to be any easy wins in this schedule. Now, Rutgers have Nebraska as a single play, and they don't get them until the last game of the season, so that could have gone better for them. But there's not going to be many easy schedules in this conference this year. Having double plays with
1: Northwestern, Maryland, and Minnesota, I mean, that's a... That's a pretty as
0: good thing. as it gets. Yeah, about as good as it gets. Um, one trip to Penn State is gonna be you know, they would have liked to see that twice. But yeah, that's about as forgiving as it gets in this conference this year.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: All right, so we're gonna bring this episode to a conclusion. We thank you for joining us and remember, eat your Brussels sprouts, watch Nebraska basketball.